This is the Annex of Sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queen's College in the City University of New York. Today, we talk about the so-called squared hoax and researcher misconduct. My co-panelists are Brian McCabe from Georgetown University, Leslie Hinkson from Georgetown University, and Gabriel Rossman from UCLA. Our discussion was recorded on January 8, 2019. So a few months ago, we spoke about the so-called squared hoax in which uh, three scholars sent, uh, sent a bunch of hoax articles to like the studies journals and got how many? Something like seven publications out of it? Something like that. In any case, the hoax got major national attention. It was certainly discussion worthy. Uh, it angered people who said that it wasted reviewers' time and it capitalized on the trust that we place in each other when we're developing our literatures. But others loved it, right? They saw it as exposing unrigorous work in the academy. So in any case, it turns out that only one of the three authors of this hoax uh, had a faculty position. I think his name, I, don't, I, I hope I don't pronounce this wrong, Peter Boghossian? I, I think he pronounced it Boghossian. Uh, Boghossian, I think. Bogosian, okay. Bogosian, a philosopher from Portland State University. And now Professor Bogosian has had a professional misconduct charge levied against him for the hoax because he didn't go to IRB, is my understanding. So uh, what's your take on this story? Uh, is this researcher misconduct? What's your What was your reaction to this story? My reaction to the story was, you know, I felt like I I couldn't make I couldn't make a call on it mm. because I don't know if he and his, you know, his co his co's thought of this as actually research that was systematic mm. or, you know, was this just for fun? Mm-hmm. And it seems as though and it seems as though I mean, I've never heard heard them refer to it as fun, but I, I you know, but I have heard them. <laughs> you didn't watch their YouTube video. When yeah. You're in the oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I didn't watch that one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I don't know, like intent, I think, is um, I think it's very necessary to know, mm. um, because if they weren't approaching this like like research the way that we think of research, I really don't see what IRB has, has to do with this. Right. Well, okay. So this is like this weird Aristotelian thing about um, IRB where I can do whatever I want until it's research. And then I have to go fill out, you know, a bunch of paperwork and wait a month before I can do it. So if I want to, um, you know, have a conversation with you because we're old friends from graduate school. That's that's nobody's business but you and I. Mm-hmm. And if I want to have a conversation with you because it's a qualitative interview that's going to go in my next book, mm. then I need to, you know, write up an idea of what kind of questions I'm going to ask. I need to talk about the scientific impact. I need to talk about if you're a member of a vulnerable population. I'm going to talk about if there's, you know, uh, compensation. I'm going to talk about what you're going to get out of the study. I'm going to talk about if you're arm suddenly falls off during the study. What are the protocols? You know, Mm -hmm. all this stuff. And then I'm going to need to submit it to IRB and I'm going to need to wait for, need to wait a week. And then they'll say, what if Leslie Hinkson is a minor? And I'm going to say, I know her. She's in her forties. And they're like, yeah, but what if, how are you going to verify that? And I'm going to have to go back. And first of all, a week, (laughs) you're lucky. Yeah, 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 that's right. But, but, but all that hinges on whether it's just a conversation because we're old friends from grad school Mm -hmm. or whether it's for research. So we have this kind of ridiculous thing where 
for research purposes, you have to do all these hoops. And, and, and it's kind of ridiculous to me because uh, why does it matter that much whether it's research or not? I mean, I understand that that's the rule. Right. You know, uh, and um, but it does seem somewhat absurd that if they're writing it for Aereo and Quillette and all that sort of thing yeah. and uh, and YouTube, then and that's not research, then they don't have to. Um, and if they're doing it for, um, ASR, mm. that would be research right. and they would have to go through IRB. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous. No, I mean, I actually, I actually think in some ways the question is a lot more simple than it's been laid out. Right. So IRB is meant to protect human subjects, or at least, mm. right. That's the stated purpose of IRB. It's probably actually meant to protect universities against getting sued, but the state totally. is to protect human subjects. And at the end of the day, the truth is that in this sort of scam that these guys ran, right, there are no human subjects because there's no actual research. So so nobody needed to be protected and therefore, right, there sort of needs to be no IRB approval. I mean, I think that the research misconduct allegation is true. I don't, I can't imagine the situation where, uh, you know, this is, this is for fun, right? This is obviously uh, to prove a point, to prove a point that they think is true. Um, and I think that there are other ways to sanction them, right? Professional misconduct doesn't have to be just through sort of right. research boards. Um, so, so that's, you know, sort of my take is it's clear professional misconduct, but it's not clear that it's a violation of IRB because it actually doesn't involve any human subjects. In the, the but story. it does, Brian. Well, who, who does it involve? Well, I mean, as much as we might despise them, are not the editors of journals mm. human beings? Well, <laughs> and, and the peer reviewers. That's, that's, a, that's a, an open question, but, uh, <laughs> no, but, but I mean, actually, I think if you take that argument to, so sort of the next step, does that mean that every time I'm asked to review an article in the AJS, I have to get IRB approval because I'm, you know, interacting with an editor of a journal and, you know, and, and a, the writer? No, no, no. The idea would be that you'd have to get, so, I mean, audit, ex- this, I mean, this is one of the things is that when the first wave of the controversy about this thing, people were like, oh, it's so unethical to deceive people. Mm-hmm. And then people were pointing out that in some ways, this is just an audit study. Yeah. And people love audit studies. But the reason they love audit studies is because, A, it's proving a point that we're sympathetic to, which is that there's various forms of discrimination that exist and we need to worry about them. And B, it's wasting the time of people we don't care about that much, which is HR managers (laughs) or small business people. Whereas this is making a point we are unsympathetic to, which is that there's bullshit in academia that should be weeded out. Mm. And B, it's wasting the time of people we are sympathetic to, which is fellow academics. Mm. So... But in a purely structural perspective, this is just an audit experiment. And audit experiments are very obviously uh, research involving research subjects. Um, well, but the, it's, not, it's not really yeah. just an audit study because it doesn't rise to the level of what we would expect of an audit study, right? An audit sends out um, you know, thousands of resumes. Yeah, the sample size is smaller. It's, it's not necessarily as systematic of a design. But you no, know, it, it's not like they they send it out to every third listing in monster.com between this week and that week, right. you know. And and even, you know, had they gotten IRB approval to do this so-called audit study, right? It doesn't rise to the level of uh, you know, scientific. It doesn't have scientific merit and not because of the subject, but because you send out 20 fake articles and try to get them published, right? That that's not really uh, an audit study. You know, I, I think it's ironic that we're talking about, you know, whether it's low quality research when the point of the study <laughs> was to demonstrate that there's substantial parts of academia that uh, you can be very successful with extremely low quality research. Right. 
Right. My so my experience in dealing with IRB on things on the line, for example, with this podcast, is the standard is is are you trying to develop generalized propositions uh, about you know people's behavior? Are you trying to develop theories like scholastic theories that generalize? And, and I, they were. I guess they they were trying to generalize a systematic knowledge that certain subfields of academia are full of shit. I guess so. Although, I mean, yeah, I guess in a way you could see it as that. I also see it, though, as a stunt. Like, they weren't trying to assess rejection rates. They were trying to get a paper into a journal to embarrass the journal. Well, so there wasn't it, an assessment it, it, there. It was like a, that's That's a true, but they also want to have it both ways in that they have in multiple occasions referred to this as an experiment. Mm. And at the time... I mean, this is one of those things where it's like people change their arguments where people who are uh, unsympathetic to them would say, oh, it's not an experiment because there's not a control or because it's not well designed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now the shoe's on the other foot and (laughs) their position has to be, it's not an experiment. It was just a prank. And then the people who don't like them has to say it was an experiment (laughs) or say that it counts as research, you know? So it's completely opportunistic uh, on both sides to say whether it's research or not. But I I think it was very clearly aimed at developing, um, and I'm doing my best to bracket my opinions on the merits, and I'm basically sympathetic to their prank slash experiment because I do mm-hmm. basically hate most of cultural studies and want to see it called out as bullshit. But I do think that they were trying to develop a general point of uh, understanding, at least as much as many things that are considered research. So here's here's another aspect of it, because there's two angles to research misconduct. There's sort of the legalistic definition where we're worried about like the university's conformity to government regulation. And then there's like the spirit of IRB, like what IRB is intended to do. And I was having a very interesting discussion with a Canadian scholar who was talking to me about human subject standards in Canada, as opposed to the U S and I, if I'm not, if I'm mistaken, somebody please correct me on Twitter. But I think in Canada, if you study people in the course of their job, like you study people's behavior when they're working, they're not human subjects, like in terms of their job. So you can do sort of employee assessments of their normal course of work, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody can correct me on this. That That's similar to the uh, standard in the Susan Fisk report, but um, that hasn't been implemented yet. Hmm. So what you're describing as the Canadian standard is what God willing, will soon be the American standard, but it kind of hasn't worked its way through yet, but it's coming down the yeah. pike. A couple of years ago, Susan Fisk of Princeton um, wrote a report basically saying, wait, is she at Princeton or Penn? Anyway, so um, somewhere in central Jersey. Uh, she lives in Princeton. Um, you know, Her report said that uh, we should have basically that standard that is already the case in Canada. Uh, and you can study people at work. Yeah, and you and you don't have to, you know, fill out these ridic- ridiculous things that are based on uh, an essentially medical um, yeah. example of of the presumption that if you ask someone what's your favorite color, that it might give them cancer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I'm I'm mostly sympathetic to Bogosian just because I don't see journal anonymous journal reviewers and journal editors where like we don't even know who okayed this line i don't see people's reputation as being you know subject to any serious risk i think it was oh are you kidding me yeah i think if you were the editor of one of these journals 
if you knew that your colleague mm-hmm. now fortunately no uh not every sociology journal desk rejected it mm-hmm. but no sociology journal gave them an r&r whereas most of the cultural studies journals did give them r&rs or accepts it was so that, i think that's it and it, that's what i wrote in the weekly standard as i pointed out that this shows that sociology is great and cultural studies right. full of shit but um no it's damaging to the discipline but like a Unless the it was it, oh, but I think it would be damaging to the individual editor. If you knew that, let's say your colleague. But if you knew, let's say that yeah, but you would know it was in every newspaper. It was in the Wall Street Journal. So let's say that you knew that you had a colleague who you sometimes have lunch with, who's in the gender studies department, mm-hmm. and this colleague edits a journal called I don't know, uh, Studies in Queering the Body or mm-hmm. something like that, and then they publish a study in there on how you can make men woke by. Uh, anally inserting a dildo. Yes, as as and they did. Let me just explain as the so-called hoax. Did. That that was one of their studies. Yes, uh, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, just so we're clear, Gabriel's not just riffing here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just telling you about my weekend. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm telling you about one of the um, the so-called swear uh, hoaxes. Right. So um, the and you learn that your colleague had published this paper, mm-hmm. you would lose respect for this colleague. And, and you know, uh, one of the critics of it, um, of the paper, uh, it, who was quoted in Inside Higher Ed, described them as slandering uh, fields. Now, I don't think it's a slander because truth is a defense against slander. Right. Uh, now, the, the only case where I think they bordered on slander is in their original, they since have kind of incorporated my critique that actually sociology came across great. Mm. But in their original write-ups, they made it seem like sociologists were um, buying into their nonsense right? Um, when actually there's a very clear distinction there. Um, and so in that respect, you could say that they kind of slandered, say, sociological theory where, for instance, um, they took the – David Scheiber, who's my um, grad student, mm-hmm. uh, was one of the reviewers. And I can say this because he said it publicly. Right. Um, and he, he, he thought – he actually texted me and said, like, I got this crazy paper to review. Yeah. And um, – and then he he reviewed it and he tried to give constructive criticism, but there was no way he was going to accept it. Yeah. And then they took the constructive criticism and uh, and then treated that as if someone was taking the paper seriously. Right. So I would say that they um, slandered anonymous reviewer two at um, sociological yeah. theory, who turns out to be David Shire. But there's no one who's there's nobody who's personally going to be impacted by like that. Whoever's the editor in chief can say one of the editors did it. Whoever's editing the journal can say some other editor did it. Okay, so David was anonymous until he outed right. himself. Exactly. But uh, Mustafa Emmerbeier's not. Like, like that, that. Well, was he the one who ultimately okayed the journal or the articles? Well, he was the one who decided to send it out for review instead of desk rejecting it. So this could, you know, to some incremental extent, this would have hurt Emmerbeier's reputation that he um, sent it out for review instead of desk rejecting it. I guess I don't. Although I mean I don't know. Like yeah, in ahead. some ways, I kind of feel like that uh, that desk reject thing. You know, I I could see where an editor would be like, you know what, this is peer review, not yeah. editor review. So I I'll send it out, and you know, I might think this is BS. Let's see what the young folks say. Huh. Yeah, you know, I I don't think anybody I I don't think anybody's career is going to be materially damaged by it. So I'm. Maybe there are disciplines or like uh, that are going to be damaged by it, and certainly journals, but individually, I don't think anybody's going to pay the price. And the price that they pay, I don't feel terribly for them because, like, those because they publish crap. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, actually, I, I do have another point I want to make, which is let's say that they did this the right way. So let's say that they went out there and now um, the, the t- Lindsay and uh, Pluckrose are not affiliated with universities, although they are trained scholars. Um, but uh, um, yeah. uh-huh. so, so they, they wouldn't have had an IRB to go to. Mm-hmm. But let's say that um, Bogosian had gone to the Portland State IRB and filed it. Um, I don't think it would have been possible. And I don't think that's because it is an unethical study. I think I don't see anything less ethical about this study than your average audit study. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know somebody could say like, well, you know, when somebody reviews a resume where you're um, you're comparing one resume with a college application, with a college degree and three years of experience, and it says uh, Everett Adams on it versus another resume that has you know a college degree in MA and four years of experience, and it says uh, Tanisha Washington on it, you know, you're, you're, you're still wasting people's time. I, I, I get, but you're wasting five minutes of time versus 10 hours. Time. I get right. that. But I still fundamentally don't see this as qualitatively different from an audit study. I see this as basically an audit study. So let's say that they did the thing that, you know, um, the late Diva Pager would have had to do, or my next door neighbor, Michael Gaddis would have had to do of going through um, IRB to do a, um, an audit study. Mm-hmm. And, I think you simply couldn't have done it because, and for two reasons. Uh, number, not because you shouldn't. Like, if I was on the IRB, I would say, I'm curious to see what happens. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but, and then, you know, send the debriefing email and everything like that. But, um, you know, but fundamentally, you can do it the same way you can do any other important study that involves deception. And honestly, you know, for all the talk about like this is low value research, I think this is much more important. Uh, we learned much more from the study than we learned from most studies. Oh, like, yeah. Like the average, like th- this is, is, I would say we actually learned more from the study than say my last ASR. And it's not like I'm not. We've talked about it three episodes. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. There's plenty of fodder for reflection with this. Uh, exactly. This yeah, it taught us a lot about academia and how it works. Like, it, this is a successful study. Yes. Um, so um, now the reason I think you can do it is that I think most IRBs would say you can't do it. And I think most IRBs would say it's unethical. And I don't think they have a good reason for saying it's unethical or certainly that's any more eth- unethical than any other audit study. Um, and, um, and then I also think that even if they did say it's ethical, somebody would leak it. Oh, there's no question. It's a small community. And the first debrief you gave that said, I'm sending bullshit papers to, you know, this and this studies discipline, like word would spread immediately. And yeah. So I think there's a real issue here and I'm torn by this because in principle, I think that studies that involved, so I generally think that most things should be exempt from IRB. And that if I take you out for a cup of coffee and I talk to you, especially if I'm keeping you anonymous, I should not have to go through IRB for that. Hmm. Um, but I think studies that involve deception actually should involve IRB. Like that, that's actually something where I think, you know, should be kind of a hard and fast line of like, then it has to go through IRB. It, it probably get accepted, but you should have to go through IRB for something that involves deception. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like this is the kind of thing where it would lead to effectively an abuse of power on the part of IRB's part, where they think because this attacks our people and it inconveniences our people mm-hmm. and it shows a point that we don't like, um, they might effectively use the pressure point of IRB to either deny the study 
or to leak the intentions of the study, which is effectively the same thing. Whereas they wouldn't do that if it's demonstrating a point they like, which is that there's labor market discrimination um, against people who they don't care about, which is to say HR managers. You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. You can visit us on the web, sociocast.org slash annex. We're on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast, and on Twitter, at SociAnnex. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our producer is Lisseth Moreno. On behalf of my co-panelists, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>